So good to be with you, church. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent in Latin simply means arrival. It's what we call the season leading up to Christmas. It's a season that is especially that is especially dedicated to thinking about, contemplating, and worshiping God for sending his one and only son, Jesus, to us. Christmas is a time that we especially dedicate to remembering that our God is a God who keeps his promises. You see, from the moment that sin entered into the world, God didn't just leave us in our sins, but he made a promise. He made a promise that one day a savior, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, would come. A Messiah, a savior that would give us hope the hope of salvation in the midst of our sins, the hope of joy in the midst of all our despair, the hope of healing in the midst of whatever sickness, the hope that one day everything sad would come untrue. So ever since that great promise, God's people hoped. God's people hoped as they imagined, when would the Savior come? What's it going to be like when he finally comes? For hundreds of years, God's people hoped as God's people remembered over and over again that great promise. Generation after generation, God's people hoped. We hoped together as we gathered, much like we're doing right now, well, kind of, right? Anticipating together and longing together and hoping together for the coming of the great promise. As we celebrate Advent, we're reenacting, as it were, the waiting and the hoping of God's people throughout the centuries, longing for him, anticipating him, and then celebrating on Christmas Day that the one that we've been waiting for, the one that we've been hoping for, has finally come. The Christmas season is a season where we as God's people point the whole world to the hope that we as God's people have in Jesus, the hope that was realized at his first coming on that first Christmas morning, and the hope that still burns deep as we long for his second coming, as we long for his return. And perhaps more than ever before, we feel the need for hope in this world, don't we? In April of this year, the U.S. Census Bureau did a survey of 1.2 million homes, and they asked simple questions like, do you feel hopeless? The survey found that 48% of Americans considered themselves to feel hopeless during this pandemic. Nearly half of all Americans surveyed raised their hands, and they said, yes, I feel hopeless. Church, how would you answer that question? Do you feel hopeless. During this season, has your hope been shaken? Has it been attacked? And so today we're going to be talking about hope. We're going to be talking about hope by asking three questions. First, what is hope? What is hope? Second, why do we need hope? And third, how can we experience and fight for hope? First, what is hope? Hope is something that's future-oriented, right? 
And it's also an expression of desire for something good to happen. So we can say that hope is a desire for a certain good thing to happen in the future. And what are some common ways that we use this word hope? Well, my boys, my sons might say, we really hope that Mama and Appa gets us an Xbox Series X for Christmas. Well, sorry kids, I didn't know you had to pre-order it like five years ago. I might say, I really hope that Texas A&M makes it into the college football playoffs this year. The last time A&M won the national championship was 1919 during the Spanish flu. We really show up to play when there's a pandemic going on, all right? So we got hope. Or we might all say, I really, really, really hope that 2021 brings in, brings in the millennial reign of Jesus' kingdom on earth and brings an end to all of our woes, right? We use the word hope in these kinds of common ways, but I want us to see that the most critical element of biblical hope isn't present in any of these uses. In fact, the distinctive meaning of biblical hope is almost the opposite of our ordinary usage of the word hope. Ordinarily, when we express hope, we are almost always also expressing uncertainty, right? My kids are saying, we really hope Mama and Appa gets us an Xbox, but we may not, right? I'm saying, I really hope Texas A&M wins out and makes it to the playoffs, but if you're an Aggie, we all know that A&M always plays just well enough to make you believe, just to let you down, right? We all may really hope that everything sad will come untrue in 2021. But what? Probably not. Unless Jesus comes back, maybe he will. Our ordinary usage of the word hope is almost always expressed when we really desire something, but there's an uncertainty tied to it. We may really want it, but it may or may not happen. Worldly hope, if you boil it down, is just kind of a crossing your fingers and wishing, saying to yourself, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, things really aren't that bad, it's going to get better, without any certainty or grounds for what you're saying. Worldly hope, at the end of the day, is just wishful thinking. But this, church, this is the only kind of hope that the world knows. Everyone would agree that you can't live without hope. We can't live without hope. But is this the kind of hope that you can build your life upon? A wishy-washy, it may or may not happen kind of a hope? What hope are you building your life upon? Because make no mistake, every single one of us are building your life. You're living your life in hope, in hope of something what you believe about the future, what you hope in is going to determine how you live in the present. The strength of your hope is going to determine what you can weather through today. The kind of hope that God gives, the kind of hope that you and I have access to as God's children is not a flimsy, worldly hope that's rooted in wishful thinking, but it's something that it's rooted, it's grounded, it has weight. It's an anchor that makes us immovable and steady no matter the storms of life. Biblical hope isn't rooted in our wishful thinking. Biblical hope is rooted in God's faithfulness. 
So it says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Biblical hope is having an unwavering belief. It's having a certainty. It's having full assurance that what God has promised to do, he will do. Why? How? Because he's faithful. But someone might say, wasn't that what faith is? What is the relationship between faith and hope? Is there a difference? Well, I believe that the Bible would teach faith to be the larger idea and hope to be a necessary component of biblical faith. The famous passage on faith, Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What is this text showing us? It's showing us that biblical hope is a necessary component of biblical faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, it says. It's telling us that faith can look into the future and believe something about the future. But biblical faith is more than that. It's also, what does it say? The conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. And some of those things not seen are not future. For example, in verse 3 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. That the universe was created by the word of God. When did that happen? Not in the future, but in the past, right? And so biblical faith can not only look to the future and be certain of God's promises, but it can also look to the past and be certain of God's works, the things that he has already done. Biblically speaking, when we have faith that focuses on something that God has promised to do in the future, we call that hope. Pastor John Piper says that hope is faith in the future tense. That's what biblical hope is. Looking at the promises of God and being certain that he will be faithful to keep them all. Looking at the promises of God and as Abraham did, welcoming them from afar. That's biblical hope. Second, why do we need hope? Because 2020, let's go to the third question. No, why do we need hope? Why did we take the time to look at what hope is, the difference between faith and hope, and how hope is a component of faith? Why did we spend time doing all that? Just so we could have some Bible nerd time? Well, Bible nerd time is fun, but the critical reason why we did all that so that we can realize this truth, and what truth is that? That as far as God is concerned, Hope, hope is indispensable for our salvation. Hope is indispensable for your salvation. As Christians, we would all say without hesitation that faith is indispensable for our salvation, right? Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, right? We all know that faith is necessary for our salvation, but we don't think about hope with that same level of importance, do we? 
Perhaps we think that faith is necessary, but that hope is somehow extra. That somehow hope is just icing on the cake. But we just saw that hope is an indispensable element, component of faith. And the whole definition of faith in Hebrews 11 falls apart without hope being in there. Why do we need hope? Because just as biblical faith is indispensable for our salvation, so is biblical hope. You hoping, if you're a Christian here today, you hoping is not an option. You have to hope. You must hope. Church, without hope, we won't make it. Just as persevering in our faith is necessary for our salvation, persevering in our hope is necessary for our salvation. And because of that reality, just as Satan, just as the enemy is at work attacking your faith, he also is in the business of attacking your hope. And perhaps we feel that attack in ways now more than ever before. I was reading Psalm 42 this week, and I thought what was written there, it gave the proper words. It gave just the right words to what many of us are going through right now. Psalm 42, verse 1, says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Do these words resonate with you at all? They did for me. Many of us are going through something right now, something that can only be described as your soul being cast down, as your soul being in turmoil within you. You might have been asking yourself, what, what, what is this feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Your soul may be downcast. Your soul may be in turmoil within you, like the psalmist. What does a soul in turmoil look like? What does a downcast soul feel like? The metaphor of verse 1 is not just a deer looking for water to drink, for some refreshment because it likes to, because it's fun to drink water. No. And it's not even a deer looking for water because it's thirsty. It's a picture of a deer that's panting. It's panting and it's dying of thirst and, it's, and it goes to the familiar water brook just to find that water brook is dry. The psalmist says in verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Or another way it can be translated, when shall I see the face of God? In other words, the psalmist is saying, God, I'm dying here. I'm dying here. I need you. I long for you, but you're not here. When will I be able to see you again? When will I be able to hear you again? When will I be able to experience you again, feel you in my soul again? The psalmist has lost something. What has he lost? He's lost God's face. He's lost the intimacy of meeting with him. He's lost the taste, the feel, the sight of God in his soul. He's lost the sense of God. 
He's not lost his belief in God. He's lost the feel of God in his soul. You guys feel that at all? You still believe in God. You believe in him. But you just don't feel him anymore. You don't sense him anymore. And why is that such a big deal? Because the whole of the Christian faith is built upon God's presence. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus being born into this world as Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And so for the believer, there's nothing more devastating than desiring God's presence, but feeling God's absence. There's nothing more devastating than that. But for many of us, the sum of what 2020 has done in our lives is to bring us to such a devastation. The devastation of desiring God's presence. God, we need you. God, I want you. I need to feel you again. But only feeling his absence. We long for him, but sometimes it just feels like he's not here. And so what do we do? What do we do when we're feeling this way? But what did we do? Well, we put up our Christmas trees in October. That's what we did. We were like, Halloween? Nope, it's Christmas time, right? Why were we doing that? Because we're grasping at hope. Because we needed to feel some hope. And hope is exactly the prescription that the psalmist has. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What's the prescription? It says, hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why do we need hope? We need hope because there's going to be times when we come so under, under the attack of the enemy. And there's going to be seasons when life seems utterly out of control. And the loss is just too much. And the pain is just too deep. And we just can't see the purpose for it all. It's like, what's the point? Right? And you just feel so alone times when we long for God's presence, but all that we can feel is his absence. We need hope. We need hope because our hoping in God is the only thing that can help us make it through times like that, times like this. And lastly, how can we experience and fight for hope today? We need it. How can I experience it? How can I know it? How can I fight for it today? I want to finish by answering this question in very practical ways. Not only practical, but I wanted to make it memorable. So I went old school Baptist and put it in an acronym for you. Ready? We can experience and fight for biblical hope today as we grip onto God. As we grip onto him. G-R-I-P. Okay? We can experience hope today by gathering, remembering, imagining, and preaching. Gathering, remembering, imagining, preaching, G-R-I-P. First, we fight for hope by gathering, by not neglecting to meet together, as it says in Hebrews 10.25. Why do I say that? Because look at Psalm 42 again. When a soul is downcast and in turmoil, what does the psalmist do? Verse 4, these things I remember, 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. These things I remember, he says. What's he remembering? He's remembering church. He's remembering church. He's remembering worship. He's remembering the gathering together of God's people in worship. Look again, though. When the psalmist says, I remember how I would go. I remember how I would go to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. When he says, I remember how I would go to the house of God, what does that mean? It means that for whatever reason, it's not currently happening, right? When he says, I remember how I would go, his no longer being able to gather together with God's people for worship that has contributed to, perhaps it's been a major cause of the hopelessness that he's feeling. Maybe there was a global pandemic back then. Maybe there was extreme persecution. We don't exactly know, but we can sympathize, right? I wonder how much of the hopelessness, I wonder how much of the turmoil in our souls that we feel today is because of just our not being able to gather, gather together like we used to. Church, don't you remember how we would gather? How we would gather, shoulder to shoulder, singing our hearts out in worship. So why is the gathering of God's people, why is corporate worship one of the primary ways to experiencing and fighting for hope in this world? Because when God's people gather, when we gather in worship, we're having a rehearsal, as it were. Rehearsal for what? A rehearsal for what heaven is going to be like when all of God's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are gathered around the throne. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Try to imagine this. Great multitude that no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, as we gather together to worship in large numbers, we're reminding each other of the hope that we have in glory. We're gathering in an army, as it were, and we're waging war against the enemy who's trying to destroy our hope as we worship together. We're getting a taste. We're getting a glimpse into what it's going to be like one day in glory that no matter how hard it may be right now, today, that it will not always be so, that we have glory coming. In our gathering, we're reminding each other that there's coming a day when we will be numbered among the great multitude that could not be numbered from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, worshiping God, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We're reminding each other that day is coming. 
Church, we love being able to provide online services for you. We want you to, and we need you to make good and wise decisions for yourself, for your family. But at the very minimum, the very minimum, what we're seeing here in Psalm 42 is that we should at least long. We should at least long to gather once again. Online church may be the best thing for you right now, but it should never be the goal of the believer. It should never make us happy about it. We should never be content about it. We should never be sitting around going, oh, it's pretty good. My couch, comfortable. There should be a, I remember how I would. There should be, I remember how we would gather in all of our hearts. Because here's the thing, church. Worshiping on the couch has never reminded me of Revelation chapter 7. I've never stopped in the middle of worshiping God on my couch, as sweet as some of those times have been. I never stopped in the middle of it and thought, you know, this is what it's going to be like one day in glory. I never stopped in the middle of it and thought, you know, this is just a rehearsal. Right now I'm just getting a glimpse of how amazing it's going to be when all of God's people are gathered together worshiping him. But I remember how we would gather. I remember how we would be in this room standing shoulder to shoulder, worshiping our hearts out. I remember singing as loud as I can, but I can't hear myself because all I can hear is you singing as loud as you can. In those moments, in those moments, you brought Revelation 7 to my mind countless times. In those moments, you made me hope. You made me hope that no matter what I was going through that day, that there's glory coming. You helped me to remember that it will not always be so, that glory is coming. Oh, I remember how we would. We experience hope and help each other fight for hope by gathering, and I hope that day is coming soon. Second, we experience and fight for hope by remembering. When somebody promises you something, how do you know whether to believe them or not? How do you decide whether to hope in that promise or not? Well, you look at their track record, right? And that's what Christmas is all about. We're remembering what our, that our God is a God who keeps his promises. He promised to send the one who would bear our shame, his son Jesus, who would be forsaken and become, son for, become sin for us so that sinners like us might become sons and daughters of the living God. And God made this promise, and he kept this promise to who? To us while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, he kept his promises to us. So if he kept his promise to us while we were his enemies, how much more will he keep his promises to us now that we're his children? I said this would be practical. So practically, get a Bible reading plan. Don't wait until January 1st to rush and try to find one. Find one now. Plan for it. Now, if you're an audio learner like me, um, download a Bible app called 
Dwell, D-W-E-L-L. There's lots of different Bible reading plans on there. Find a way to journal. Go online, austinstone.org, pick up a REAP journal or find a different way to journal. But the point is this this year. As you go through the Bible reading plan this year, make note of all the promises that you see. All the promises of God that he has fulfilled. All the promises of God that he will fulfill. Keep particular track of the promises of God that you know is going to help you battle, that you know are going to help you fight for hope in certain areas of your life where you are prone to become hopeless. All right? Do that. Third, we fight for hope by imagining, by gathering, remembering, Imagining. A few weeks ago, the Austin Stone Institute invited Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor, who is an amazing author and professor. We invited her to lead us in a seminar. And in it, she said something that I thought was really amazing. She said, you can't desire something that you can't imagine. You can't desire something that you can't imagine. And for the purpose of this message, I think we could also say that you can't hope in something. You can't hope in something that you can't imagine, right? I wonder how much time God's people spent imagining the birth of Jesus. I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder when he's going to come. And when he comes, I wonder what it's going to be like. We can't hope in what we can't imagine. So make it a regular habit in your life. Introduce a habit in your life. Make it a regular habit in your life to imagine Instead of mindlessly daydreaming, right? Instead of mindlessly scrolling, intentionally imagine. Spend some time and energy imagining Jesus coming one day, coming back, not as a baby in a manger, but as the king of kings on a white horse. Spend time imagining what it's going to be like when we get to see him as he truly is. I don't know about you, church, but I don't want to be in the back row that day. I don't want to just hear his voice. I want to see his face. I want to see his mouth moving. I want to see what his eyes look like. Spend time and energy imagining what the new heavens and the new earth is going to be like. Imagine what your new glorified body is going to be like. No more cellulose. Six-pack for days. No more cancer. No more getting sick. Imagine what it's going to be like. I recommend reading Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. Read through passages on the return of Jesus. Read through Revelation chapter 7, chapters 19 through 22 slowly and imagine what it's going to be like on that day. Imagine it so that you can desire it, right? All the things that we desire in our lives, you didn't just come to desire it. Did you know that? You came to desire it because you imagined it in your mind over and over and over again. I wonder what that's like. I wonder what it would be like to have that. You spent the time imagining it, and so you desire it. Imagine it so that you can desire it. Imagine it so that you can put your hope in it. By gathering, by remembering, by imagining. Lastly, by preaching. 
preaching. We experience and fight for hope by preaching to ourselves. Preaching to ourselves. Look at Psalm 42 again. What else do we see the psalmist doing to fight against hopelessness and the turmoil in his soul? Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What's the psalmist doing here? Who's he talking to? Who's he telling to hope in God? Who's he telling that he will again praise God? He's telling himself. He's preaching to himself the particular promises of God that we talked about writing down, memorizing, imagining. Preach it to yourself. When life seems out of control and you feel helpless and scared, preach to yourself. Isaiah 41, verse 10, where God says, fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Preach this to yourself. When you're afraid, say, don't be afraid. Self, don't be afraid. Why? Because God is with me. Don't be dismayed. Why? Because he, he's my God. He's going to strengthen me. Preach to yourself. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to help me. He's going to uphold me with his righteous right hand. When you feel weak and you just don't feel like you're going to make it, preach to yourself along with Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul starts preaching to himself. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of all my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Preach to yourself this. When your soul is downcast and you're so sad and you've forgotten what happiness is, when you feel like your hope has perished, preach to yourself along with Jeremiah in Lamentations 3. He says this, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. What's he doing? He's not ignoring the pain. He's not saying all these things that's happening, it's not real. No, it's real. It's hard and it hurts. And he's saying, I continually remember this stuff. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but... But this I call to mind. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What's he remembering? What's he calling to mind? What's he preaching to himself? He's saying, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Church, no matter what you're going through, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Church, remember, the Lord is your portion. Why are you so sad? Why are you so downcast? Because you feel like your portion is being taken away, right? You feel like your portion is being stolen away. You feel like your portion is being attacked, but it hasn't. The Lord is your portion. And that's what Christmas is all about. God himself saying, here's all of me. Here's all of me as your portion through his son, Jesus Christ. Church, we may feel hopeless in this world, but we're never without hope in this world because Jesus came. Because Jesus came. He himself is our portion. He himself is our hope. Hope isn't just some concept. Hope isn't just some idea. Hope himself wrapped himself in human flesh and came to be with us. And so you're never without hope. The Lord is your portion and nothing can separate you away from his love. Let's pray together. Father, even now, many of us feel the turmoil. We feel the downcast nature of our condition. In some ways, things have been too hard. In many ways, things have been too painful. Things seem out of control. We feel so alone, but we thank you for this season. We thank you that this season we get to especially remember that you, God, are a God who keeps his promises. That Jesus came, that he came, that you are not a God who is far off, but you are a God who is near. You came to be with us in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loneliness. But we have a God in heaven who says to us, I know. I know what it feels like. Father, we thank you that in Jesus, we have one who was truly abandoned. We have one who, was, who has truly suffered. We feel loneliness, but he was one who was truly forsaken so that we would never be. And no matter how forsaken we feel, we know it's not true. He was forsaken for us so that we would never be forsaken. We may feel hopeless, but Father, we say in faith and we say in hope today that we believe in your word, that it will not always be so, that we will hope in you and that we will again praise you. We long for that day, Lord, when we will be gathered around your throne, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, saying to you, salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, may the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy and believing so that by the power of his Holy Spirit, 
you may abound in hope today. We ask you all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.